pale horse. The man who sat on him was dead. And hell followed with him. You're killing me, man. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Decorations of War. A bit of a short episode this time around. Just wanted to give you guys a few updates on Eve and your host's world. Uh, joined by my co-host, Yin Tan. I'm going to not say howdy howdy, just to give Artemis a break after so long. And Artemis Albosa. Howdy howdy. Hey! Did that feel good? It felt so good. Great. You're never doing it again. Oh. <laughs> Savage. I want to give a big shout out to Night Jester and the rapidly expanding European time zone of the Capitalist Army. They have been absolutely crushing it while I've been away for the vast majority of October. Uh, a lot of growth there. Uh, we're getting regular fleets going, not just in the US time zone, but also in the European time zone. Uh, happening way, way faster than I ever expected it to. So that's really exciting stuff. And uh, it's been really good flying with Night Jester. I haven't flown with him in a long time, so uh, he's come back, really impacted the Corp in a big way. Hopefully we'll get him and a few other Capitalist Army pilots on the show very soon. Again? Just taking a sip of delicious coffee. I just want to give a shout-out to Eve Amsterdam, you know? I could give a shout-out to things like Eve and T, but I'm just really hyped for Eve Amsterdam. I can't wait. So shout-out awesome. to everyone involved in organizing it. Before I do my shout-out, Jin, clarification question. Coffee or tea? Uh, no, I'm drinking coffee. Mmm, okay. Didn't know they had that over there. Yeah. I, I, like, <laughs> I like me a good coffee. It's, it, to be fair, it is decaf coffee, because I got over to bed in, like, an hour. Oh, well, that just doesn't count, then. My shout-out is to Washa Squasha, who's a fan of a show, spotted me in-game, called me on local. How's it going, man? Glad you enjoy the show. And I would like to give a special thank out to our new sponsor, Eve Onion. Are you tired of the flimsy, poorly sourced journalism of Crossing Zebras and Eve Guardian or Eve 24, Eve News 24? I don't blame you. Go to Eve Onion, where you will get only the most serious, most thoroughly reported stories in the game. EveOnion.com. We break the news of Eve Online. The real news, not that fake news. Not at all. Uh, should GX be allowed to play Eve again in the next three years? We put the poll out. Uh, obviously his ban, somewhat controversial. 100% of our audience say yes. Yin and Artemis, where do you stand? Yep. I'd, I'd have said, like, I think as I said in the podcast, I'd have been happy with him coming back after a six-month ban, but considering he literally played, like, the other day, I don't think this really matters. He has been like actively trying to evade the the fuck out of a ban. Uh, if he does that, then I no. He's my literally already know. done it and already got another account banned. Like, wait, wait, what? Yeah, he ran a fleet like a couple of weeks ago. Um, oh. uh, bruh, for, come on, bro, yeah, and got rebanned. So sucks to be him. You can't. Uh, I, I I know this purely because. People sent SRP requests to the judge for that fleet, saying that they were <laughs> in a fleet with GigX. 
Oh, guys, don't evade your bans. It never ends well for you. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't have any say in it, and what I'd really like to come out of this is an actual kind of conversation with CCP about how the banning process goes, because the banning process right now is pretty fucking atrocious. I really shouldn't be swearing this much, should I? I'm very sorry. No, um, go for it. Yeah, I really don't like the way the banning process works. It's super discouraging as a customer, as someone who's been banned before. I was banned for three months. Um, I that actually still like to this story. Yeah, yeah what you get banned for? I have no idea why. I've told the story before about how I, uh, you know, I went to a CSM summit and I asked the head of security, "Hey, can you find out why I was banned?" Because we had nothing else to talk about in the security meeting. It was like forty-five minutes, and then you kind of get into this period where you kind of don't have anything to discuss. Because, like, you know, it's not like we can sit there and say, hey, here's how you catch all of the bots. Um, we're, not, we're not fucking, you know, hardcore programmers, so we don't really know that. And um, I kind of just mentioned that, and he was like, yeah, sure, let me look it up. And he was like, oh, I banned you. And I was like, so why? And he was like, uh, I'm going to have to find out for you. Oh, and, like, to this day, I still don't know. And I, I poke him every couple of months about it. That is goddamn oh. atrocious. Yeah, there's no record keeping on it. It's super like there's no oversight apart from IA. It and it's like when you're banned for three months, you expect them to have like some form of evidence, and they didn't really. Well, even if they didn't, they should at least keep records on why they banned. Yeah, and you know, so that's why that's why I have a kind of personal vendetta against the banning system. But I still don't agree with what GigX did, and I don't agree with his current behavior. Yep. Yeah, I'm not saying he should be banned for life, but like... Well, if he's already evading his ban, that doesn't show... doesn't show me a lot of, like, intent to, to take his punishment and try to work to regain the trust of CCP in the community. It's more of like, I just want to get back to playing the game, I don't care, you know, about what I did to me. That's what it says. Hmm. All right, um, let's get into our top stories. The big one, obviously, Lifeblood, successfully deployed. Uh, we've talked quite a bit about the Lifeblood patch in our last show, the Vegas show. If you have not, uh, and yes, we have person who is anonymously typing in our doc, talked about the hack changes at length. If you haven't listened to our, uh, our Vegas episode, including if you're on the show and haven't listened to it. Uh, you've really missed out on some excellent content. I think it's one of the best. It's one of the best post-event shows that we've ever done, and I'm counting all our post CSM summit, our post Vegas, and our post FanFest content. I think this is by far the best. Uh, so if you haven't heard it, please go check it out. Uh, we talk about everything that's coming out with Lifeblood. What I would really love to talk about is now that, especially moon mining. I think that's where the big story is. Moon mining is now out. What is happening with the moons? What is happening with moons as a content driver? What is happening with the market as it co extends to like Tech 2 items and stuff? Let's get right into it. Uh, I will say so far, moon scanning, easier than before. We did a whole bunch of moons really quickly. Didn't find anything super awesome, but uh, apparently prices are spiking such that even stuff that wasn't that great is apparently at least worthwhile now. Yeah, the market's insane. Like, guys, we get it. You, you want to make some risk. 
but come on. I can't, like, go out and whelp a curse because I might as well be flying a T3 at this point. Well, I think that's that was somewhat to be expected. Um, I think we all kind of predicted a, a price hike. Yeah, I know a couple of marketers have been calling it Black Tuesday, the day the uh, T2 goo ran out. <laughs> um, and it, it really looks like um, T2 prices aren't going down. We should start to see like the trickle back of people actually starting to mine now. But there really hasn't been much volume on the market. Well, I've been saying it for forever. The devil's in the details with these numbers. Because it's not passive, right? Which, When it's passive, you could pretty much assume that 100% of the moon-producible goo was going to make it to market, aside from like supply disruptions through wars and other things. But pretty much anything that was valuable to have would have a pass on it, mining it out, shipping it to market, or at least putting it into production. Uh, yeah. Not the case now, because you could have... Moons, even if they are chunked, which requires an active decision by a player when to do it, even if they're not brought out and exploded, they could not be mined 100%. They could not be mined at all. So I think you're... And even if like every miner was doing 100% of the moons, like we, don't, we were never told what that number would be. So it's not clear how the supply is now versus the supply prior. And how much as a percentage of that supply now is being realized because it has to be done through manual group labor. So yeah. we may never get prices back to what they were. Uh, I don't I, I'm not sure if this is like I haven't really looked up the numbers. I'll be I'll be very honest. I haven't really sat down and actually dug through it because industry is not something I'm I'm personally particularly interested in. Um but from what I can tell, whatever like it, it feels like they expected all of the mines, uh, all of the moons to be mined, and that just is not the case. I mean, is I don't think that's a reasonable expectation at all. And you have more personal contact with CCPs, so maybe you can say whether or not they'd actually expect something that unreasonable. But like, I'd expect. I mean, it might uh, someday happen. I don't think it's going to happen with the current population. No, because like, I think they it, accept. I think they expect it to self-correct more than it probably will. Like even in Nullsec, it's known that there are swaths of regions that just aren't populated, and then with these new moon mining things, it says to be relatively populated in order to properly mine this stuff. And in Losec, like I still don't think these things are getting mined in Losec ever. Uh, I don't know about ever. I think it'll probably happen, but. It's definitely not going to be the case where, like, these PvP alliances are going to control the moons and profit off them. Like, you basically have to have a PvE wing or be a PvP alliance that can, like, rent it out. And it's going to take time for those agreements to happen. And there's also a pretty open question of whether there are going to be enough miners in enough different places to get all the mining done. And then so, to me, like... the next step is, like, okay, prices are high for tattoos. What what happens then? Do people start not using Tech 2 because it's not worth it? Does CCP buff Tech 2 ships so it is worth it to pay the higher price and they keep the demand up? If demand for T2 drops like a rock and people can't offload all the goo they have been mining, would that only make the problem worse? I think there's also going to be some friction of getting the goo to market, especially when you have these new 
uh, I'll call them empire, quote unquote, alliances. Nullsec solve holding alliances that are there to create an empire, if you will, who are sort of keeping all of their extraction in house. I've heard the most about this thing coming out of goons. Like, yeah, we, we don't sell stuff to market, we keep it all in house. Even if it's not 100%, the stuff that they do is produced in-house, doesn't come to market. If it's limited in any way compared to how it used to be with the passive income, that's going to be another stressor raising the overall GDA price, price, which is the thing most people are exposed to. I would really be interested to see if we get a situation like what we saw on the Chinese server, uh, Serenity, where... Um, basically, all of the people who controlled the Mimitar uh, the, the moons that you need to create Mimitar Tech 2 refuse to export any of their materials. Um, and that was so that they could control basically the ability to use webs, or at least to use Hugans and um, Rapiers effectively. Wow. Uh, because Lokis were obviously super expensive on the Chinese server, because they're really yeah. hard, it's really hard to bot um, basically in wormhole space. So comparatively, they're really expensive. So what so the people sitting on those Mimitar moons were, um, you know, vastly uh, more powerful in terms of an economic or an industry level. That's like they diabolical and awesome. Yeah, like there was actually a war where part of the settlement for the end of the war was, you know, you have to give us all of your moons that create Mimitar minerals. Like in a low-sec region or something. Uh, no, I think That's it was amazing. Like in a yeah, it was... It's ridiculous, and I love it. Like, I hope that that actually comes over here, because it'd be super interesting. I know that Provi, for example, is able to create relatively cheap zealots uh, because of the moons we hold internally, and it would be interesting to see if that's something that starts to uh, become more of a thing, if geography actually starts to impact not only what you do, but also kind of what ships you fly. I would like it to. It would add a lot more flavor to the game, for sure. Yeah, you know, but I, I, I don't know if that'll be a thing, but it'd be, fuck, it'd be interesting. I mean, right what now, do you think about the power level of Tech Two ships exist, if yeah. the price spikes greatly? As I know, cost is a poor balancer for Eve, but I mean, at the same uh, time, you have to do have to keep it in mind. Like, if a zealot costs four hundred mil instead of two hundred mil, like uh, they don't cost two hundred mil, do you? they? Cost one hundred and thirty. Well, it's it can go cheap. up. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think you have to widen your scope here from just hacks to T2 Logi, which is the real big question. Mm. Because the power level of that is massive. There is no replacement for T2 yes, Cruiser Logi. The fax machine. Oh no, even better than that. I've been I've been experimenting recently with uh, Zealots plus T3 logistics, and they're surprisingly effective. I guess if hack prices spike to the extent, then yeah, sure, why not? Especially once the new hack module comes out, I could see well, T3 Logi. T3 Logi is also just genuinely really good and fairly cost-effective. Like, you're adding an extra maybe to 100 million onto the cost of a Guardian with fit. Like, why Isn't the range a problem, though? Um, In normal fleets, yeah. If oh. you're just using, like, Pulse Zealots, it doesn't matter too much. You don't want your guardians at 100 anyway. I don't know, that's just my read being, like, really weird. I always have these kind of weird off-meta comps that I really love running, and I have to basically just lose with them, like, 10 times until I admit, okay, these are actually just terrible. 
I mean, it's an option. Yeah. I don't right. think I, I, I like that there are options like you've now. Identified. Yeah. Well, the, the fax as an alternative is interesting. Yeah, but you wouldn't really use faxes with hacks, surely. You'd just use, like, if you're going to drop faxes, then that means you're holding super capital, sorry, you're holding capital, at least parity. So you're going to just use Macarios or Abaddons at that point, surely. Well, if the, maybe not. I mean, you know, remember back in the day when people used to drop triage carriers to support roaming fleets? Um, No, I don't remember that. (laughs) Well, I definitely do. Uh, You know, you could do it with hacks. You could do it with, uh, as long as not kiting hacks, but like uh, like close range hacks, it worked, or stuff that was had really good projection, so you didn't have to move around much, and it was pilot efficient because you could basically do with one triage carrier what you could do with five or six guardians. So if it also becomes cost efficient, that was back in the days where carriers did have like eleven light years jump range, though. Yeah, and I'd also mention that like going away from roaming things a major hopeful source of conflict is going to be citadels and you still can't use a fax effectively on a hostile citadel grid at least if it's fit properly because ccp still hasn't changed the broken mechanics well it depends what citadel it is if you're talking one of these uh mining refinery things they're not that powerful any citadel size large or greater. You cannot have a fax machine on that grid. It will just die. Look at the, the void bomb you're saying? No. Um, the the anti-capital missiles on like, even anti-capital, Astros are super anti, strong. It's anti-super capital missiles. If you use paints, will apply ah. to regular capitals for super capital damage. Yeah, did you um, did you see the battle report of like this one Astra house that killed like nine dread? Not nine dread. There was like four dreads, a carrier, and like a fox before dying. <laughs> no, I'll have to find it at some point. But it was ridiculous. That sounds awesome. It was just, like a solo dude and an Astra, just like a vaporizing a cat fleet. It was pretty not okay. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> yeah, no, it's actually, broken. it sounds extremely bad. I I actually wouldn't say it's broken. It's Overtuned, but I don't think having an Astra be a threat to a capital ship is a bad thing. No, it, it should be able to at least threaten, sure. If it's fit out specifically for it, I think that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, but right now, several of them people... successfully killed seems a bit much. It's, it's pretty, pretty ridiculous, but it also has something to do with the, the cat fits we used, which weren't great. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, yeah, at some point you have to take some responsibility. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, properly, the, way, yeah. the way PL sieges is like vastly superior, which is they'll bring phoenixes in at super long range, so you know the missiles can't reach it, and then just snipe down your Astra from there, and then they force you to basically to get involved in a cap fight to win, mm-hmm. which you you will lose because it's PL and you've not formed up for it. If you're provident, so if you're someone like Tess, you can uh, do very well against them, as we'll get onto later. Yeah, speaking of capital warfare, let's move on to our next story. Mercenary Coalition contracted to fight against Try. This is, I don't know what we're calling this war. Uh, I've been kind of thinking about it as the Phoenix War, but uh, we've got, and we've been covering it on the show for a while now, and it's just still going on. <laughs> uh, Try versus FCON 
and their Phoenix Federation, which is now uh, allied slash pet with the DRF. It's still going. In fact, it's gotten wider. Uh, Try is still fighting. Is in fact gaining ground against Defcon, even if they're trading slightly some ground against Solar. And Guardians of the Galaxy is now involved, hitting the DRF in the north. And apparently, MC brought into the fray. Artemis, take it away. Yeah. So, first of all, I cannot disclose who our contractor is, partly because I don't know who it is. That's just state of play here, so don't ask. Uh, secondly, if I had to guess, I'd say it's in response to specifically GOTG invading the drone regions in the north, such that the DRF couldn't provide their full support to FCON and friends. And I really hate that you introduced this as cap warfare, because MC explicitly deployed without caps. We have no capitals down here. It is a subcap-only deployment. Um... Most of that is because we're down here for Entosis Warfare. Like, basically we're trying to do what we effectively did up during the war when NC Dot kicked um, CO2 out of tribute, which was... World War B? Yes, no, we remember. No, the war after that. Oh. Wait, war what? after World War B. Oh, I see, I see. Okay, so World War B happens, CO2 flips sides, goons are out of the north... And then that settles down, there's a bunch of fighting down south, and while goons are invading Delve, NC and PL decide that they want Tribute and the North. And so they invade Tribute and kick out CO2. Generally toward the Tribute War. Also, Guardians of the Galaxy was involved, by the way. Yeah, they were. That kind of sealed the current political climate in the North, basically. It's a very uh, pivotal moment where the winning factions of World War B basically turned on one another. In any case, betrayals aside, um, what we did was before we came up there, and hopefully before we came down here, uh, the Entosis War was pretty slow. It was difficult to make progress because of a lack of FCs or organization or what have you. Oh, I'm sorry. Can I just pause for a second? Did you say that you're having problems getting enough FCs? I thought you said that that was impossible and that every alliance would be able to get enough FCs to do anything in self-warfare. Sorry. Okay, pause. Just just my point Number one, you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. I'm saying that prior to MC's arrival, there was that lack. And second of all, when did I say this? Um, We had a very long argument about how how, if it's difficult or not difficult to make FCs in an organization previously. Um, I think it was me, you, and Alexi. And you two were yep. on the side of having enough F- uh, having enough FCs is something that every alliance can fundamentally do, or if you can't create enough ali- uh, FCs, you're a bad alliance, basically. It was a very long discussion. Uh, I would say that my stance... I don't remember this conversation. Actually, scratch, I remember the conversation, I don't remember my stance in the conversation, but I'd say that if an alliance doesn't have enough FCs to run an entosis war properly, then hiring an alliance which does have enough FCs is a perfectly valid solution <laughs> to the problem. And that's what I, seems I will to see that point. Um, so we're going down there. Our main focus is entosis warfare. We've got no caps. We're just brawling it out day after day. Um, it's pretty ridiculous. Like, there are just so many... Because the war has been going on for so long, there's been such a constant stream of content. There are a bunch of random dudes down there who are just know that there's going to be ships out in space to kill. And so there's just action everywhere. 
And we've got Horde down there who we're working with. We've got a bunch of people who we're sort of working with, sort of not working with. So it's a bit of a blurred lines as to who is an ally and who is an enemy. We call them frenemies now is our official term within the alliance. Um, but we've deployed down there to do the stuff and an interesting development today. So I'm being told I haven't heard through any official channels, but if Reddit is to believe to be believed, then FCON is like pulling their supercap force up to the drone regions to help fight there which is going to be an interesting development because that would leave Tri basically with super cap superiority in the south. It would make things very, very difficult if we have to hit any Fortizars or things like that. I don't know. Would, it, would they have super capital superiority in all regions? Like, Legacy's super capital fleet here is still in play. Um, there's, there's, like, the actual continuum of war in the south right now is so interesting. I really enjoy it. Yeah, this is one of the most fascinating conflicts we've had in a long time. Yeah. It's like two great powers going at it. You're right. You're right that Legacy is there. Um, And I suppose if we were hitting like a staging Fortizar or something, then they would come into play. But the presence of Legacy's super capital fleet, I haven't felt the effect of it, at least in fighting trying them. Granted, mostly we've Mm -hmm. been actually fighting Fraternity Dot because of just the area of space we're deployed at the moment and what our current focuses are. But you're not yeah, wrong. Fraternity I, I have really, really done well, actually, in this war. Like, I, I hadn't really heard much about them, but they've proven to be real, like, really, really successful in this war. Same with a couple of other entities like uh, uh, Dangerous Voltage and Tactical Supremacy. Those guys have really done a lot of work. It's, I, I, like, there's so many little, not little, non-major alliances that I think are going to have reputations forged from this war. Which is really awesome to see. Gives you some hope for the future. And meanwhile, you've got alliances that have been around forever falling apart. See the FCON drama from their, uh, their chat log leaks on Reddit, which you haven't checked out. I would strongly suggest you do. Leaks from their, essentially their FC group. Uh, and they're quite spicy. Basically, Epcon has no clear direction, uh, doesn't seem to have clear leadership, and the little bit of leadership they do have is starting to leave. Uh, multiple people quitting their high command out of frustration, both with each other and with their overall direction in the face of the war. Uh, just all the telltale signs of a complete alliance implosion incoming and Given the way the war is going, it doesn't look like they're going to have any relief on terms of positive morale anytime soon. And um, it's worth noting that TBC at least announced publicly that they are leaving the Phoenix Federation. As to what impact that will have, don't ask me. If you want to use it as a litmus test, if you will, for the health of the Federation as a whole, do it to your own peril. Yeah, I, I agree, Alexia, on that one. Um, yeah, like, I'm not really sure how the how FCON's going to do then, especially if Phoenix Federation is uh, falling apart. I mean, essentially, Phoenix Federation's a dead coalition, and FCON's a dead alliance. They just haven't realized it yet. So well, the real question is going to be, once they're out, what is Legacy's role now? Um do they feel like they still need to commit to this? If I suspect they may not, in which case it's now 
the DRF invading TriSpace. And yeah. will Tri continue on the war and attack DRF for attacking them, or will they fight defensive? I think that's the biggest question in the war right now. I'm uh, I'm going to throw something out there. If FCON folds, Tess doesn't aggress because they were supposed to defend FCON. FCON's gone. They don't care anymore. If Tri does not actively attack Solar or the DRF in some way, then the DRF will solely focus on defending the drone regions, which is currently being attacked by DRTG, and they will not continue aggression versus Tri in the south. That's my throwing the dart at the dartboard. My conclusion, if FCON does like either fail Cascade or like want to leave their area, and that leaves Phoenix Federation basically without a head, I would see the remnants of um, Phoenix Federation merging into Legacy almost 100%. I think there's... Or if FCON just falls apart, all of their corps will go to some part of Legacy, I imagine. Legacy over the DRF? Yes. I, I, I can't guarantee that, but that gives them the best chance of holding onto the space they currently occupy, which in my... Um, history has always been what happens to PvE-focused organizations like FCON. I mean, just culturally, I think they have more ties to yeah. Legacy than to DRF. DRF always seemed like a leadership-driven alliance rather than a ground-up decision alliance. Yeah. I I, I really can see... Um, and that's, that's, that's honestly a huge boon for Legacy. That puts them in real great power contention. But it will take some time for them to integrate and really make use of it. I don't see them continuing on in the war just for that. They'll probably pause, reset, rebuild, integrate the new guys, and then look t at to what to do. And they may not look at Try, so yeah, to be honest. I don't know. Like I feel like Test versus Try in Fraternity is very, very winnable, um, especially without the DRF Capital Umbrella in the South. And if if Legacy wanted to expand their territory anymore, which I think is very dangerous... Uh, they're already a very overextended coalition. Um, they probably could hold on to the territories that uh, Phoenix Fed did for now, or at least in a military sense. I'm just not sure they have the people to basically sit in it for a long time. And they definitely wouldn't be able to take like Detroit, um, Wiki Creek, and Inn's mother. That's super out of the question. I do see Artemis' scenario playing out as probably the most likely, at least a, a near-term resolution to things, but my heart would like for Try to continue on and go offensive against the DRF, which would make things much more interesting. Yeah, Try's actually done a really interesting um, strategy in this war as well, like from a grand strategy perspective. They've um, kind of cribbed this kind of elastic defense style that the Imperium was attempting to use during World War B, but didn't really get, you know, down. Um, kind of like the Germans in World War One, if you're familiar with the latter half of the war of World War One, uh, where they retreated to a um, basically an elastic defense system of lines. I can't remember what it's actually called. I just know it's, it's called the Hindenburg Line. Thank you very much. Um, that seems to be what they're doing. They're basically holding all of their major force in Innsmother. And they're holding on to very key, very defensible strategic points in Wicked Creek and Detroit, and basically forcing um, Legacy and the DRF to go and fight over these objectives that don't mean a great deal to them. 
but mean a lot for the opponent. So they get to pick and choose the fights that they think they might be able to win. I mean, it's not working perfectly for them, but they're not losing much for it, which is great for them. I mean, if we're going to carry on with World War One analogies, then it's only a matter of time until the tries opponents figure out that just small gains over time win the war. Hmm. All right, let's move on. Um, some other political shakeups. Uh, kind of, I don't know if we called it exactly, but it's it's essentially been the case that goons could take fountain whenever they wanted from the culture. And it seems like culture has just sort of accepted that fact, and they've given fountain to the goons. Not so goons Imperium now extends into the fountain region. Yeah. Initiative is slightly, at least, um, moderately independent. They can look after themselves, and that's nice. But the rest of Fountain, like the kind of northern parts of it, are just kind of abandoned. They're full of these minor alliances, which are actually, it's actually super cool to look at. Like, you've got people like Fane Disorder, you've got Iron Armada, you've got Atlas. I love Atlas. I miss Atlas. Like the old Bobby Atlas Atlas. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I mentioned this in one of my updates. I was like, that's pretty cool that Atlas is back. It's the same as like Tau Ceti Federation. I, I can't, I've i always wanted to see Tau Ceti come back again. Yeah, Tau Ceti something I could do with seeing around the game again. <laughs> uh. But yeah, I'm now in it, living in Fountain. I think the only real... Interesting thing is it now totally connects initiative space with the rest of the Imperium, whereas prior they had a little bit down in the south and a little bit in the north, and their northern holdings were geographically separate. Um, it has some interesting implications for Goonswarm's ability to invade uh, Pandemic Horde space around Cloud Ring and Pure Blind, but difficult to see them actually making any kind of use of that. I don't think there's a good strategic reason for them to do that. I think most of the action is down in the south. Most of the Imperium's attention will be down in the south for one in one direction or another. Uh, at least that's my read. Don't you just wish like the two-week war thing where like Goon's kind of half-arsedly deployed up to Lone Trek? Don't you wish that that was happening right now? Meh. Like, that would be legit like the entire map at war with one another all in one move we wouldn't really be at war though the the two week war things i'm so over them like i wish people would just be like oh we're roaming in there instead of actually trying to make it like the next big thing like it's a big war it's not they're little Mm -hmm. shit content deployments they're not that meaningful it might be fun for the people involved but that's about it yeah, but if they'd have deployed up to Lone Trek with that kind of force now, like a force that is, you know, 300, 400 people per fleet, that's super serious. PO has to take that seriously. Maybe Guardians of the Galaxy can't involve their super capital fleet as much as they currently are in Peregrine Falls. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud there. It seems yeah. like, um, you know, Goons almost fell behind where the meta was heading to there. I would I disagree with you, Alec. I'd say that even little two-week content deployments are meaningful to both sides, simply because if the attackers look like they're winning, then everybody smells blood in the water. 
so. Yeah, I guess. But you're never I mean, going to really make much serious the the movement there, even if you are winning, unless you're deploying caps and supers. So if, you're too, if your little two-week deployment doesn't include any of that, then there's no reason for anyone to take it seriously, even if you're winning fights. I mean, we, we did see a lot of cap deployments in that two weeks. Like, the problem was they were all massive failures for the attacker because they <laughs> hadn't really learnt the lessons of um, the fork exchanges, basically. You know, that was something that was... Like, the, the capital meta then was still developing if you weren't, you know, PL or NC and you didn't have this massive brain trust that understands capitals to, like, the nth degree. I guess that's fair. You know, I, I can't fault goons for what they did. They they tried very hard to do what they know and um, didn't work out and they had to reevaluate. You know, that's valuable information. T- a, t- a tactical feed, as you would say. <laughs> uh, speaking of to, feeding, I'm not the apologist here, though it was you know kind of bad. But speaking of feeding, uh, Yen, do you want to talk about PL versus Pravian test? Uh, yeah, it was pretty legit. Um, probably the first major Providence, quote unquote, Providence victory of um, the war. Quote Wait, unquote war. war. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> quote unquote victory in this quote unquote war. Fake news. Um, basically what happened was, uh, there's this Astra house in 3D TAC, and it's been kind of the central point, uh, for PL and CBA to just basically fight over it. Uh, 3D TAC is obviously a capital staging system, um, and it's very central to kind of Providence in general. Uh, it has great cap ranges over everywhere. So letting them have an Astra here basically is them saying, we can basically control your entire region if we wanted to. So we've been fighting against that for a while, and um, last Friday I decided, all right, I'm going to just throw a Reitaru up on it and see what you do. Let's uh, let's go for a fight. And um, then quietly mentioned that to ProGod and that they probably use capitals. And he was like, all right, well, here's how we're going to bait them. So we got ourselves into position. Um, I made it look like I was taking a fight that would very definitely be a losing fight. It was like 120, 110 or so Abaddons uh, versus like 90, 80 Macarials and 50 Dreadnoughts versus 30 Dreadnoughts. Um, so what we did was we warped everything in off them at like 40. Uh, I got all of my, uh, well, all of my corpse dreads to drop fleet, join Progod's fleet and wait, and then we just had to hold the line for five minutes whilst they jumped to F9E and got their fatigue, sorry, seven minutes whilst they jumped to F9E, got their fatigue down, got to DG, and then jumped in and massacred the remaining PL dreads, basically. And it was a pretty glorious victory. We killed like 200 billion S worth of uh, caps. All replaced. Didn't want those caps anyway. Etc, etc, yeah. I mean, like... <laughs> It puts us at about misc even for basically all the fighting done in 3D attack, but it's not something we can be super smug about because at the end of the day, it wasn't us doing the blow, you know? I, it's 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 a kind of blow that I hope that one day CVA will be able to bring, but not right now. Yeah, it's still something to be proud of. Against CL, any kind of victory like that, I would, I'd be happy to hang my hat on it. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll definitely take it as a victory. Like, it was a great victory, but it's not... um. It's not one I can take a great deal of credit for. I just wanted to mention it because it's a kind of a cool fight, and PL actually lost one. 
Artemis, you're... Uh, let's get into his highlights, sorry. I'm trying to move this along. Uh, Artemis, you want to talk about saving your Nyx? Yeah. So, MC has solve and tribute. We use the solve to make isk, basically, while we've got it. And there was a Nyx on an MC pilot who shouldn't have been ratting in tribute. Who was ratting in tribute? And some Volta, I think it was, guys, had a wormhole that spawned in tribute, came through shotgun like half a dozen sabers throughout our pocket, and managed to tackle a Roracle and a Nyx. I think there was maybe a second Roracle, but not completely sold on it. Um, basically, once they tackled the Nyx, they abandoned tackle on the Roracle, and we're shooting at the thing, and pings are going out. It was interesting. It's one of these situations where when I'm trying to explain to people why I'm not super upset about failure, this is one of the prime examples. Like, fa failure is an incredibly useful thing to have happen because of how much you can learn about it. Because from this, this one Nick's getting tackled, number one, it was just fantastic fun, which is why it's my host highlight. Like, I get the ping that, hey, we've got a Nick's tackled. I hop on comms. He's already in half armor. And I don't have a jump clone up there because of one point of failure I'll talk about. So I've got to burn a scepter up there the entire time telling my dudes to stop feeding random T1 nonsense into a fleet of Lokis while keeping my super pilot calm so he's continuing to use his fighters to bomb off bubbles and do his best to get out. And then I've got another capital FC who's arranging some facts to get up there and get to, get to save him as well as a signer to get in. So it's just hectic. Tensions are high. The stakes are important. And it's a rush. And I finally get up there, we finally muster our fleet, and as we get in there, basically I've got three Lanji. I've got three Ospreys, and then half a dozen Feroxes and some random nonsense, which includes, like, literally this one guy, he had multi-boxing seven VNIs, and he's just like, okay, I'm gonna save this Nyx, here's my seven VNI fleet. And so, seven VNIs, Feroxes, three Ospreys, and a couple of bombers warp in on grid with the Loki fleet, immediately... Because at this point, the Nyx is in 40% structure. Like, I have people screaming at me on comms telling me, you've got to get in there now, otherwise this Nyx is going to be dead. And as we warp in, we manage to catch shield reps on the Nyx, get him up to about 25% shield, and then focus on just murdering all the Dictors we can find. And as soon as a Dictor lands on field, decloaks, whatever, it's dead, boom, instantly like that. Our ships are dropping just as quickly, but they're just coming back in, streaming on through. Um, it was interesting. I died twice throughout the thing. And during that time, I had to either FC from my pod or we had a mercenary academy. This is a trainee who's not even in MC yet, took over for FCing. And it was a, a blast. But the points of failure, failure that we found were, number one, Nick's pilot in MC ratting and tribute, not okay. Number two, when we had a Nyx tackled, they didn't ping any of the channels where people who could sort that thing out were in. Like they're pinging PVE channels, not broadcast or whatever. So the FCs who would normally be saving this Nyx that got tackled didn't know it was happening. And then finally, like the clone bay in the Fortizar that had the majority of our defensive ships in it was offline because MC is just hilariously bad at managing our Citadel network, apparently. So... <laughs> All of those things came together to get a Nyx into 40% structure. A bunch of people screaming and going crazy on comms. I'm burning over in a scepter. We finally managed to save it. It was a blast. It's literally the most fun I've had in EVE this entire year. 
it was fantastic. Sweet. Yen? Yeah, I've actually, you talked about Volta, and that just reminded me kind of tangentially of something I don't think I've talked about on the podcast. It happened around, um, it happened 24 days ago, and it was uh, really, really fun. (laughs) Um, Like, it's another one of these dumb fights that just really shouldn't have happened, but it did. Um, So Guardians of the Galaxy sent a small gang into a wormhole to tackle a rock wall, Uh, but it wasn't supposed to be a small gang. What they did was they formed a fleet to kill a Rorquart, and then they jumped their lodgy in and collapsed the hole. <laughs> and then the next null static that spawned was Improvidence. So I'm on my train ride back from university, and I get ping, I get rage pinged by some random dude I've never talked to before in my life. And he's like, Jin, I need you to form a fleet to uh, come kill a Rorquart. <laughs> and I was like, okay, let, let's do this. So I get I get home, I form my fleet, and um, I bring it out there. And I bring out, like, the 20 Feroxes and, like, no Lodgy, really. And then I get there, we start shooting them, and then they bring a Dreadnought in, and then a Phoenix in. And I don't have any Lodgy, so I end up drafting the Guardians of the Galaxy into my fleet, so I'm FCing over three <laughs> comms, because um, the other guy had two comms as well. And... This goes on for two hours. We realize we can't, we can kill all their subcaps. We can't kill their dreads. So we end up bat phoning uh, Spectre Fleet with uh, Black Bar Pirate comes in. Then one of my random Provi dudes headshots him as he comes in through the hole. So I can make someone eject from their ship so Black Bar can continue to FC. Wow. And then we, and we finally kill like two dreads. And this has taken like three hours at this point. And then we go out and some random dude in Provi jumps through the wormhole in his rattlesnake and collapses it, trapping us all in the wormhole. So we have to escape via so we have to escape via Great Wildlands. And on the way back from Great Wildlands we managed to kill like some PL uh, sorry, some PL Lokis. And then die to a maelstrom fleet. That's, That's amazing. <laughs> It was so tough. Literally one of the dumbest fights I've ever been in, but it was just, it went on for so ridiculously long. It was so entertaining. I just can't help but love it. Here, I'll link the BR in the doc for you guys. Oh. All right, well, as far as my highlights, uh, I already talked about Vegas. Vegas was absolutely brilliant. Um, then there was the, the Cans baby, the Noir baby, Greg Lit, Greg Jr., Alec Jr., however you're going to call him. <laughs> uh, my son Dominic was born, um, so it's been a good deal of, uh, of October with that. And there was also TwitchCon, so all of my traveling has been made for a really crazy month. Uh, but definitely my highlight was being able to see Tara again, a.k.a. Slaw, another member of the Capitalist Army, my lovely girlfriend, and uh, just hanging out with her and the baby and her family. And both of my parents drove in for the festivities. Um, it was just all around. It was uh, pretty great hanging out with family again. I don't really get to see them since I'm out on the West Coast and they're out on the East Coast, so easily the highlight of my October. Just remembered one final dumb thing about that fight. 
it went on for so long that I had to start. I had to order my fleet to start looting wrecks for more ammo. <laughs> I've never done that before, and now I want to do it again. But yeah, TwitchCon sounds like it was lit. Like I was, uh, I was watching Twitter, and a couple of the people who I enjoy watching streaming were at there. It seems awesome, dude. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, Fintar really got more of a chance to experience it than I did because I was working on, it, and he wasn't. Oh, yeah, so a good half of my TwitchCon was just, you know, working, not really out and about, and able to do anything. But I did get to meet a few cool people. All right, guys. Uh, that's it. Go to declarationsofwar.com to participate in our show poll and leave a comment on this episode. Capitalist Army is recruiting, and we can use you. Join Capitalist Chat in-game for more info. Uh, like I said, our EU time zone has expanded rapidly. I'm actually, like, trying to play catch-up now with our U.S. time zone. So if you're at all interested in joining the community that we're building out in Great Wildlands and just want to hang out with... Uh, Hang out with me and the other fans of the show. Join Capitalist Chatting Game, and let's talk. And wherever you are, good hunting, listeners.